Hi, my name's India. This is Be More Orca, Buck the Menopause. Now, I'm not a medic, or an expert, or a celebrity. I'm just going through it myself. I was totally blindsided by my symptoms. I knew nothing about this stage of my life. And then I discovered neither did any of my friends. So I'm on a mission to find out everything I can, explore every avenue to help us manage our symptoms and get our lives back on track. In this episode, I'm talking to Diane Danzebrink, founder of the Make Menopause Matter campaign and Menopause Support, a not-for-profit organisation which is full of help and resources. We're joined by Andrea, her office manager, and we talk about how they've gone from chats round Andrea's kitchen table to lobbying Parliament and educating future generations. Hi, Diane and Andrea. Thank you so much for coming talking to me today. You're very welcome. Thank you for inviting us. Now, Diane, I want to focus on your menopause story just quickly at the beginning because it's it's really quite an extreme one, I think it's fair to say. So you had a total hysterectomy due to suspected ovarian cancer. And so did that put you into a surgically induced menopause overnight? It did, but I was not aware of all of that prior to the surgery. So I knew because, because of the type of surgery that I was having, the word menopause was mentioned but I thought menopause was hot flushes and no more periods. <laughs> yeah, as you do. And my periods had been so horrific for over 15 years prior to that surgery that actually having no more periods for me was really not going to be a problem. And as you say, the surgery was for suspected ovarian cancer. And when somebody tells you that they think you might have ovarian cancer, essentially you want the surgery done yesterday. But unfortunately, I didn't get any counselling or information about all of the potential symptoms or long-term health concerns related to going into an early menopause. I got no information about potential management options or treatment either before or after my surgery. I was simply told when I left the hospital if you think you need to, go and see your doctor in a few weeks' time. So having had major abdominal surgery, I was never offered a follow-up appointment with a gynaecologist or a member of their team. That's extraordinary. How long ago was this? Well, that was 10 years ago, but I have to tell you that as extraordinary as that sounds, and it is completely ridiculous we still know that in some cases that's happening today. I was about to say, is that still the case for women a decade later? Because that's just, as you say, you were thinking, oh, great, no more periods. Brilliant. You know, no one likes their periods, do they? And especially if you were suffering badly with them. But you weren't told any of the other symptoms or about HRT or possible solutions to managing your symptoms. No, none of that. I wasn't given a booklet to take away with me. I wasn't given any verbal information. And yes, it is in some cases still happening. And it's happening to 
those who go into for those who go into a surgical menopause and remember that you know I was 44 at the time which just put me into what's regarded as an early menopause but that's happening in some cases to women significantly younger than I was so that has all sorts of implications for their short medium and long term health but yeah i mean it's it's a ridiculous situation that we're in but it is still happening in some cases and what what were your symptoms? Was it cliff edge, suddenly everything hit you at once? In fact, in the first two or three months, I thought I was doing really well. I had a few hot flushes and that was pretty much it. And then it got to about month three and I metaphorically fell off of a cliff. And it was not the physical symptoms. It was the psychological symptoms. It was crushing anxiety, crippling anxiety that eventually put me in a situation where I couldn't leave the house. My sleep completely fell apart. I was having panic attacks during the night. It felt as though I'd lost my confidence overnight. And cutting a long story short, over a period which ended up being a period of months where my poor husband and mother repeatedly tried to get me to go back to the doctor, and I refused because by this time I genuinely felt as though I was going mad because I had no idea this was related to my surgery. Yeah. Eventually it got to the point where I wouldn't leave the house. I obviously couldn't work. I wouldn't answer the telephone. I didn't want people to come to the house. The only people I would really allow would be those absolutely closest to me. To the point where, and I know this sounds completely ridiculous, but I had stopped opening post because in my rational brain, I thought that every piece of post that came into the house was going to bring bad news. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but that's exactly how it was. You know, ultimately, I got to a point where I felt as though my life was no longer worth living because it was so dark and so terrifying. And then on one particular morning, I woke up and thought, I can't do this anymore. And later that day came incredibly close to taking my own life. And it's only thanks to a little dog called Henry that I'm around to talk to you today. <laughs> God, that's just, it was hearing you just say you had no idea that this was caused by your surgery. So you hadn't put two and two together. You just thought, what's happening to me? My life is crumbling around my feet. Yeah, absolutely. Because for two or three months, I'd really felt that I was doing well. I'd, you know, I'd made a decision. I've always striven to eat well. So I wanted to very much look at my nutrition again. I was really keen to get back to running, to doing gentle exercise. You know, sort of I thought I was doing everything right. But for me, my surgery was very much a physical thing. And in my head, anything to do with menopause was hot flushes and period stopping. So they were physical things. I had no idea about the potential psychological implications. And I, I think, India, it's really important. I want to make it really clear at this point that this was my personal experience. This doesn't happen to everybody who has a surgical menopause. No. It's a very individual situation. But it's also not true to say 
that I'm unique. And were all of your things that you were putting in place for diet and sleep, was that about getting back on your feet post the op and post-cancer? Or were you thinking this is about managing my menopause? Or was menopause not really on your radar? No. You didn't realise that's what was happening to you? It wasn't about managing menopause at all. It was, I was told that I needed surgery for suspected ovarian cancer. When the surgeon came to see me after the surgery, she said, I'm pretty sure, having looked at you (laughs) more closely, that I've removed your ovaries just in time. So I was incredibly fortunate. So for me... I felt, wow, how fortunate am I? Life-saving operation. Exactly. She discovered that I had grade four endometriosis, which I had never had diagnosed before. She discovered that I had a condition called adenomyosis and that I had a huge fibroid. So all of those things had meant that I had had, as I said, horrific periods for many years On the few occasions that I tried to address it with a medical health professional, I had essentially been ushered away or fobbed off or told it's normal. It was good to have that information. But for me, I never connected the two things because nobody had ever said to me, there are potential psychological symptoms related to not just surgical menopause, but to any type of menopause. So no, I had no idea, which is why I was so terrified, because I did genuinely feel as if I was going mad. Yeah, you were losing your sense of self and losing your mind. And on a much lesser scale, I have to say, but that's that's exactly what happened to me. It was the mental symptoms that terrify you because you think, what's going on with me? And Andrea, Diane just talked about endometriosis, and that's how you two met, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know if I believe in fate, but for this situation, I sort of do because my eldest had just been diagnosed with endometriosis and we, she was really struggling with the pain. So I've been recommended that she had acupuncture. Well, she hates needles. So then I've, I've heard about laser acupuncture. So I was trying to find somewhere and it was just a chance conversation with a friend whose daughter had worked as an electrician at Diane's house. <laughs> and drilled through her finger and Diane had done some laser acupuncture on her drilled finger. And I thought, Right, so I emailed Diane and I explained the situation and she just emailed back, can I, can I call you? So I said, yeah. So we, she rang me and then she explained what she'd been through and I thought, this is the right person for Georgia. So um, Georgia started having treatment with her, um, but she was, she was struggling with her mental health, just, just with the whole forecast of what she would be going through in the future and, you know, things like that. And it, I was struggling with her and getting really bad anxiety and things. And I just told, told Diane one day and she said, would you, I do counselling, would you like to come? I said, yes, please. <laughs> Diane, you're just a one-stop shop, aren't you? You're amazing. No, she was helping with my, with my anxiety and all these sorts of things because I've got two daughters and, you know, one was, they were both teenagers at the time, so that was great fun. So, uh, <laughs> and then I just came one day, I just came and said, oh, I've been having some hot flushes. And she said, right, got her symptom checker out. And I read through it and I thought, oh my God, I've got loads of these and been having them for quite a few years, you know, joint aches and pains and everything. The anxiety was a major thing for me because I thought, well, you know, social anxiety, I didn't want to go out to things, I'd cancel, I'd make excuses for not to go. My relationship with my husband was getting difficult because he was, you know, I was snapping at him. I mean, the girls have said it was like living with another teenager at times. 
So then I sort of got to the bottom of it, went to the doctors and I chose to go on HRT and I immediately started to feel better. But you've been put on antidepressants first, did you say? Which was fair enough because I just got in and said, I, I feel anxious. I hadn't mentioned any of the other symptoms because I hadn't realised it was connected to my menopause. Although she could have looked at my age and thought, hmm, but anyway. That's why the symptom checker is so useful, isn't it? And you can take it to your GP and go, look, I have all of these and you won't get misdiagnosed with antidepressants. But then I just said to Diane, look, I, you know, I was feeling better by then, finished counselling and I said, look, I'd, I'd like to do something. So she said, would you like to be a moderator on the support group on Facebook? So I said, yeah, that'd, that'd be great. I think we had about 2,000 members at the time. We've now got 33,000 members. Amazing. So I really enjoyed doing that. I felt like I was, you know, doing something helpful. I also hosted a few evenings with Diane at my house. I invited everyone my age on Facebook, my friends. Diane came along, did a couple of presentations, and you could see people in the room going, oh, my God, that's me, and you've got that. I do that. So I thought, well, if I don't know, I didn't know a lot about it. So obviously it's just not getting out there. The information isn't getting out there. And then Diane set up the community interest company and asked me to get involved. So now I'm the office manager. I deal with all the heartbreak emails coming every day. It must be such a rewarding thing for both of you to know that you are actually helping. Because as you say, it's that light bulb moment that you see in so many women that just go, oh, oh, this is what's happening to me. I'm not alone and I'm not going mad. We all need to talk about it because it's happening to us all in various degrees. As you say, Diane, not everyone is going to have such an extreme experience and lots of people will sail through it and go, oh, what is the menopause? But there's a lot of women in the middle ground that say, what's going on with me? And it smacks them around the back of the head. So what you're doing is extraordinary. I mean, menopause support, that really has been born out of my experience because, so I did eventually, I did eventually see a GP. My husband got me to a GP on the day that I told him what I'd almost done. And I was incredibly fortunate. And I saw a GP who not only got it, but took the time to explain it all to me too. She didn't insist, but she strongly suggested that I started HRT there and then, which I did. I slapped a patch on my thigh. And she made it clear that it wasn't going to be an overnight miracle. It takes time. And I think that's really important as well, because I think there is a narrative going around that HRT is magic. It works overnight and it works for everybody. And the truth of it is, no, it's not. No, it doesn't. And it takes time because I think it's all about managing people's expectations. So it did take some considerable time for me to get it right. But during that time, I started to research because I started to wonder, is it just me? Have I been hugely unlucky or are there other people struggling? And at the time, 10 years ago, it was really more forums than it was kind of Instagram, Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. But I was really horrified by what I was coming across on a daily basis. The amount of people saying, and Andrea will know this because we hear it still on a daily basis, I feel like I'm going mad. I don't know who I am anymore. I've lost my joy. I'm struggling with my relationship. I'm struggling at work. I'm struggling speaking to the children, et cetera, et cetera. This is affecting all my relationships. And I knew I was feeling better 
when on one particular occasion I turned around and I said to my husband, how the hell can this be right? We're half of the population. If I ever feel like me again, I'm going to make damn sure I do something to change this. And consequently, that's where the idea for menopause support, which, as Andrea said, is now we're a purpose over profit organisation, and later the group and then the Make Menopause Matter campaign. That's where all of that came from because I just don't want to see, and I think everybody that kind of works with me now would agree, that they just don't want to see somebody struggle the way that they did because there really is, with the right education, information, guidance and support, it's needless suffering. It's suffering that people are experiencing, which doesn't have to happen. Yeah. We really need to change that, not just at a national, but at an international level too. And I think you are doing extraordinary things personally, both of you, to change that. You are though. And I think actually the UK is quite at the forefront. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, mm. quite at the forefront internationally. You look at places like America, and you think Oprah Winfrey has been on their national telly for how many decades? And she's only just starting to talk about the menopause. And you think, come on, you've had a platform for a very long time. And we are definitely at the forefront. Yeah. Now, you launched Make Menopause Matters back in 2018. Mm -hmm. That's a long time before it became such a mainstream topic of conversation. Did it feel like you were shouting in the wilderness back then? Yeah, it really did. I mean, the first time that I spoke about my experience publicly on TV was on the now sadly lost Victoria Derbyshire programme, which was a brilliant programme because she did such good work giving a platform to subjects that you wouldn't usually hear about. But yeah, so that was in November 2015 when the nice guidance for menopause was first published. Right. So let's just take a moment to think about that. We didn't have formal guidance for our clinicians until 2015. Yeah, that's that's appalling, isn't it? (laughs) They asked me if I would go and speak about, and that really felt lonely. I remember sitting in the green room with two of the other guests and talking about, you know, sort of how exposed we felt by speaking about it in such a wilderness because you would never, ever have had familiar faces talking about their menopause experience back then. And even in 2018, the reason I launched the campaign is because I was sitting at my desk one night and in the intervening years between 2015 and 2018, because I was talking quite a lot on TV and radio about my experience, and I have quite an unusual surname, (laughs) so it's not that tricky to find me. So I was getting an awful lot of correspondence from people who were really, really struggling. And I was sitting at my desk one night and I just thought, no, enough. And I remember slamming my hand on my desk and saying to myself out loud, (laughs) right, that's it. We need a national campaign. And the campaign aims were really easy to write. I've never campaigned for anything in my life, but it was really, really easy to write because I'd heard three years of people saying, I can't get the right help from my GP. I'm struggling in the workplace and I don't know where to turn for support. Why the hell did nobody ever teach me about this? And I thought, well, that's really simple. We need mandatory training for our GPs and medical students. We need it to be alongside 
periods and pregnancy in the secondary school curriculum. We need guidance and support in every workplace. And we also need a public health campaign funded by the government for menopause because it just makes sense. If half the population are going to experience it directly, the other half are surely going to know or love somebody who experiences it as they go through their life. So it's just common sense. So yeah, I launched it in Westminster. I thought if a few thousand people agree, that will be great. And to date, we have 192,000 signatures, I think, on the petition so far. And we've already achieved having menopause included in the curriculum in schools in England. And we've been influential in ensuring that from 2024, all medical students will finally be taught about menopause. So we're moving in the right direction. This is amazing. So I do want to talk to you about this because that's an incredible achievement in a short space of time. So what is now being taught to children. And I presume it's not just being taught to girls. I hope it's not just being taught to girls. Absolutely not. Because I worry, I hear this and you think, oh, that's good. And it's being taught to medical students. That's good. But you think, well, is that just a line of, oh yeah, and by the way, the menopause happens, la la la. Or is it actually being properly discussed? So for medical students, it's going to be part of a module about women's health, which is even better news because that's going to cover all aspects of women's health. From the school education perspective, what I didn't realise, because having never done any of this before, is that when the Department of Education puts something else on the curriculum and say to teachers, okay, that needs to be taught, they provide neither funding nor resources for those poor teachers to teach it. So what we have been doing is we have been developing essentially a lesson, a module, which is a 45-minute lesson about menopause to be taught to secondary school students. So we've been doing that with an education expert. So we haven't just taken it on ourselves. We've taken lots of advice. Andrea and I have hosted some online groups of teachers to get their ideas and their feedback, etc. But we've been working particularly with one consultant. And I was very fortunate a few weeks ago to go into a school in Gloucestershire to watch three lessons taught using the current module that we have. It needs some, needs some tinkering with you know, we need to go back and do some more work on it. But it was, I have to say, it was a real moment. Yeah. What you hope would happen is that girls like your daughters, Andrea, will be taught, will you have your periods? This is the start of your hormonal journey. And this is the end of your hormonal journey, which was something that never was taught to us, was it? We knew all about periods and not getting pregnant. You spend your life either desperately trying not to get pregnant and then you're desperately trying to get pregnant. And then not everyone will have a baby or wants to have a baby, but you're taught about that anyway. But you're not taught about something that we will all go through. Yeah. Every woman goes through the menopause. What age are they being taught that then? So the students that were being taught where I was sort of seeing this being trialled were 13 and 14. And I'm delighted to say that it is going to be taught to everybody and absolutely should be taught to everybody. But what was fascinating, India, were watching, watching the lessons being taught and watching the light bulb moments go off and hearing, because they were sort of groups around tables, and hearing them saying, oh, 
that's my mom. My mom's <laughs> experience that. Exactly. Not only uh, forewarning them of what their future, but actually gives them an understanding of what their mum's going through yes. right now. Yes. But I've been fortunate enough to stay in touch with the school and we've actually had feedback from parents too about how amazing it is that their children were going home and talking to them about menopause. So that was on my sort of dream list, if you like. Yeah, yeah. So what we'll do is we will do the the work around the module, but a bit like the new booklet that we've just published, it will be made a free resource so that any teacher can have access to it, absolutely. And that's what it should be. We really want everybody to have access to a module so that it, it makes it easier for them to teach about the subject. And medical students, so what are they getting? So it's part of a women's health. It's going to be a mandatory module, is it? It's not like an elected one if you want to go into gynaecology or something like that. It's now all medical students. Yeah, absolutely. So we saw we saw the women's health strategy published last year. And as part of the women's health strategy, so I gave evidence along with lots of other colleagues to the women's health strategy. And as part of the women's health strategy, that's helped to, I think, define what is going to be included in this module. So we haven't seen the module yet because it won't happen until next year. But it is really good news because, again, it's just a common sense approach, isn't it? As you say, again, 50% of the population, if not more, are going to do this. I mean, I loved my GP. He's a young, sort of in his 30s, and he was incredibly knowledgeable. And I said, you know a lot about the menopause. And he said, well, I realised I'm in my 30s, I'm male, I need to find out about this because it's going to affect a lot of my patients. And I thought... I love you. I love you so much. I wish all GPs thought like you. And it's true. If if all medical students have a grounding, then future generations of GPs will know more in order to help women more, as you say, because you're just being told, put up with it, go away, as you were, Diane, and as you were, Andrea, given the wrong advice. It's going to save the NHS so much money for all these referrals that are made to rheumatology, psychology, urology, that are not necessary. Obviously, some people will need to be referred, but most of these things could be dealt with by the GP in the GP's surgery room without being referred on to specialists. And that's going to save so much money. So it just makes so much sense all round. Exactly. And actually, the health benefits of HRT, if you choose to go on it, have a massive impact moving forward for the NHS in terms of preventative diseases. Yeah, they can. Yeah. Dr. Katie Barber is my menopause specialist for the podcast. And she and I are constantly saying more funding needed and more studies needed. It's like whenever I ask her anything, she goes, well, mm, yeah, we need, I can't really answer that because we need more studies. <laughs> and it makes me so angry that women aren't being given this key information that they need to make their own informed choices. Mm. So how do we and it's a big question to ask you both, but how do we get governments to stand up and take responsibility to actually do these studies and get more information out there? First of all, we're hugely playing catch up historically. So we have to think about the fact that women's health has been disregarded, ignored, in some cases, you know, made a mockery of in the past. 
And if we look back historically, you only have to look back to the Victorian era to recognise that it's not that long ago that women were being consigned to asylums. If you really dig into the history, you'll start to recognise that a lot of the reason that many of those women went into those asylums was because they were around a certain age, they were having certain symptoms, et cetera, et cetera. Hysterical woman, push her away, consign her to, yeah, out of society's eye. Exactly that. So we're in a situation where we've got decades, if not centuries of work to do to bring us to where we should be. You know, there are all sorts of things. It's not just menopause. There are all sorts of women's health issues that we need so much more information and knowledge about. But then it comes down to, well, who's going to pay for that? And unfortunately, in a very commercialized society, often it comes down to, well, who's going to benefit financially? And what we should be looking at is how are we going to benefit not just the UK society, but the world society as well? How are we going to improve their prospects? How are we going to improve their short, medium and long-term health? But unfortunately, because money so often comes into these things, that's where we sort of trip up around how is this going to be funded. I also think women's health for such a long time has been such a low priority. How do we do it? Well, the way that we do it is the way that anything in the world has ever changed. And that is by, as a community, and I don't just mean women, but as a community, we raise our voices together, we raise them consistently, and we raise them in a way that means that we're not going away. And getting back to your petition, your Make Menopause Matters petition, which obviously I will put in the show notes on change.org, you need 200,000 signatures. You are so painstakingly close. You're like 8,000 signatures away. So what happens when you reach that 200,000? Well, in fact, when you're running a petition, it's 100,000. That gives you any kind of leverage. And in fact, this has already all been mentioned in Parliament some time ago. But 200,000, I mean, that is, that's a nice round figure. It does mean that you can kind of go again in terms of not just the awareness raising, but also putting the pressure on. When it comes to talking to MPs, to ministers, to lobbying Parliament, etc., it's a really nice round figure to say, you know, kind of 200,000 people. And, you know, it's no easy feat. It might sound in a population of 68 million, really easy to get 200,000 signatures. People's lives are busy. They're juggling a lot of things. There's an awful lot out there to grab their attention. So getting 200,000 people to sign a a petition, I mean, that is, it's a significant achievement in itself. But it is it's a great opportunity to go back and put the pressure on again. And talking about that, one of your aims is a public health campaign. Just the simple idea of a booklet given to all women around the age of 40 by their GP to go, here you go, that might be on your radar sometime soon. Since doing this podcast, the amount of people have said, why wasn't I just given a leaflet? Why isn't this just... Well, surely uh, everyone should just be handed something. And so is that something that 
the government are looking at? Or is this again a costing thing? Again, I think it is a sort of catch-up situation. You know, we have leaflets for breast screening, for cervical screening. We've never had an NHS stroke government booklet for menopause. Ridiculous, but that's the way it is. So again, that was sort of, that was very much on my tick list alongside the school resource was for us to have a booklet. So the thing is with information that you want to share, you have to make sure that it's factual and evidence-based. So we have had four very lovely British Menopause Society menopause specialists work alongside us as our clinical advisors. So as it's been written, they have essentially ticked our homework (laughs) and said, yes, that all looks fine. They have been so supportive sharing their their time with us. This is all done via your non-for-profit organisation, isn't it? So you're funding this. Yes. So I want to talk about that as well, because it's an extraordinary not-for-profit company called Menopause Support, and it has amazing resources and your new booklet, Understanding Menopause, is there for free for anyone to go and download. And you have guides for partners so they can understand too, which is so vital. And letter templates to write to your MP. I loved that. (laughs) And I'm going to put all of this in the show notes. But that's something that you're doing off your own backs. That's something the government should be doing, but you are getting in there first because you can't wait around for the behemoth slow machine that the government is. No, we can't wait because people are suffering, people are struggling. This is information that every woman should have prior to the age of 40 if she's going to go through a natural menopause. If she's going to go through a surgical or premature or early menopause, she needs to have it earlier. So those booklets need to be in every GP practice. They need to be in every NHS hospital. They need to be in every community space around the country. As you say, we have managed to fund a certain number of paper copies, but the PDF is available free to everybody. That can go on to workplace intranets. I'll let Andrea tell you about some of the lovely things that we've heard medical health professionals are doing with it. But it's just a simple, common sense approach. And ideally, what we want is we want the NHS and the Department of Health to work with us so that we can make this booklet available to everybody. And yes, we've written it, we've produced it, we've published it, but I would happily give it to them for nothing if they would take it up. Because it is... I think for all of us, and it's not just it's not just us at Menopause Support, there's a lot of other people who are trying to work towards this aim, and we've had the most phenomenal response to the booklet. But we all recognise that this is a really common sense thing to do. It should have been done a long time ago, but it hasn't been. But now it's here. What we really want is those major stakeholders to say, okay, let's all of us work together Let's make this happen. And then I think for anybody who has ever raised their voice to improve menopause care and support, we can all go, okay, job done. We've been surprised actually how many GP surgeries and NHS clinical settings have actually asked for these booklets because we thought they might say, well, you know, it's not an NHS booklet, but there isn't one. I've said to Diane before, sometimes you have to stop looking around and saying somebody needs to do something about this and realise actually 
we're going to have to do it because no one else is going to. So we've had so many GPs, pharmacists, we've had NHS trusts contact us. I mean, I think I sent out 3,000 last week to one NHS trust. So there's 120 clinics that have these booklets now just in that NHS trust. And we've got GPs that are sending them out, sending the PDF out by text to patients who are in that age range. They're in waiting rooms, they're in doctor surgeries rooms, so they can give them to the patients that come in showing that they've got these symptoms. That is amazing. And you also provide private support via telephone and video consultations and you do bespoke menopause training and support for businesses and menopause training days for therapists and well-being professionals. I mean, it's extraordinary. And I urge everyone, I will obviously put the website on the show notes, but I urge everyone to go and look at it because it's an extraordinary resource. And what I love is that you empower women to take the fight into their own hands. (laughs) We can feel helpless and there's a lack of control at this time of our lives and our bodies aren't doing what they used to or what we want them to sometimes but you give us back that element of control I love that the thing is if you can support another person and actually more recently we're starting to be contacted by more men who are wanting to know how to support their partners which is hugely encouraging but if you can If you can empower one person to help themselves, then ultimately that message will trickle out to their friends, their family, their colleagues, and they will be another voice that's raised alongside all of the others to make better improvement for everybody. Andrea will be sick and tired of hearing me say it, but as I say on a very regular basis, the only way to change things is when grassroots community comes together and raises its voice as one. And it's only that way that we can ensure that it will be this generation who will be able to say that we made menopause matter. That's just such a wonderful thing. And I think you two are doing everything in your power to make that happen. And I think for all three of us, we can say that HRT was a life changer. And obviously, it's a personal choice. People can manage their menopause however they see. Yes. For me, the ethos behind Be More Orca is changing women's perceptions of the menopause and more importantly, life the other side of the menopause. And you talk about the menopause spring clean. So talk us through that. (laughs) Um, So the menopause spring clean. So for your listeners who don't know, my background is in therapy. I have often sat with individuals who are looking to change elements of their life. But what has become really clear, not just from my own experience, but from working with lots and lots of other women too, is that whether they come to the menopause transition surgically, medically, naturally, etc., it does seem to ignite this spring clean. So the menopause spring clean is really about taking time to reflect on what serves you and what doesn't. And I should probably say not just what, but perhaps who (laughs) in your life, because life is very fast. People are very busy. They don't often have time to reflect. But I think this menopause transition almost forces that time of reflection. 
And that time of reflection can perhaps make us realise that some of the relationships that we have, some of the habits that we've got into, even perhaps, you know, sort of our work life, maybe it doesn't serve us as well as it might or those relationships don't perhaps serve us as well as they might. I always say to people, when you're thinking about any changes to relationships during the menopause transition, don't make any decisions in haste because things can change from one week to the next, one month to the next. But I think people do get to a point where they think, do you know what, actually, this is not a good relationship for me. And honestly, very often, that is with friendships. It is with friendships that perhaps they have endured rather than enjoyed. And there comes a point, I think, where you move from that point in the transition where you have been reflecting to the time when you begin to look forward and you begin to think about what you might like the rest of your life to look like. You perhaps start to engage with new purpose or new passion and think to yourself, okay, so my time is precious and I want to spend my time with people that enrich my life and I want to do things that, you know, we all have to do stuff we don't enjoy, but where I have the chance, I want to do things that I do enjoy that bring me joy, that bring me fulfillment. So I think the spring clean is about clearing out the bits that maybe don't work so well for you anymore. I think this transition, the menopausal transition, I mean, certainly talking to both of you, it lit a fire in you both. And it certainly lit a fire in me. Suddenly, Diane, you're both talking about sort of slapping the table and going, this has to stop. Andrea, you saying, if who's going to do it, let's let's us do it. Some of the emails I get, sometimes I'll forward them on to Diane, I'll say, you'll need a tissue for this one, or this is going to really pee you off. Like Diane was saying earlier about the surgical menopause, I had two yesterday, two emails from women yesterday who had the same poor aftercare and information that Diane had. And that's, I mean, it's actually 11 years ago that Diane had hers. And it's disgusting. These women are having major surgery and just left to get on with it afterwards. And they're just really struggling. And, and that makes you really angry. It's a brilliant time of life for women to actually take back some control. And you've spent so long, even if you haven't had family, but especially if you have had a family, you've spent so long caring for other people that you've left yourself behind and then you suddenly say, actually, this is a time for me and not in a not in a selfish way. Yeah, sometimes you have to think, no, actually, I want to do something that's not just for me, but, you know, you're, you're doing it for other people because you feel so passionate about it. Exactly. And so what are your fights moving forward? What's still to do? <laughs> <laughs> and how can we help? <laughs> oh, my goodness. OK, let's... let's um... Let's bring them down to a couple because there are a lot. Um, <laughs> we still very much need to have a mandatory education model for all our currently practicing GPs because if we're going to teach our medical students, we've done a huge disservice to our GP population by not giving them the education that they need to serve at least half of their patients. So we rapidly need to address that. And for me, I would also very much like to see this nationally funded, government funded public health campaign, because it's just common sense. It's a win-win situation. It would 
save GP time, it would save NHS money, but most importantly, it would improve directly the health and well-being of half of the population and indirectly it would improve society. Absolutely. Because as you say, we've all said, oh, my poor family, and I was being foul to them. I didn't know where I was and I lost myself. And every woman's menopause experience affects everyone around her, whether she's trying to hide it or not. Diane hears regularly when she does presentations, she'll have women come up to her afterwards and say, if I'd known this a couple of years ago, I'd still be with my husband or I'd still be with my partner. It's it's so sad, isn't it? Because you think, oh, just that little bit of knowledge and information and then you can prepare. Yeah, exactly. If you don't know what's going on, your partner's going to be even more confused. Yeah, it's such a shame that so many relationships end because of that unnecessarily. And so how can we help with this then? How can we take up the fight with you? Because you two are so brilliantly <laughs> charged and ready. First of all, it would be wonderful if everybody that's listening could sign and share the Make Menopause Matter campaign. Um, you can find it via the website, menopausesupport.co.uk. And please do share it. When I say share it with everybody, share it with your friends, your family, your colleagues, etc. Also, if you would either download the booklet and share that with everybody that you know, and if you would like to have some printed copies that you can take in to your GP practice or into a community setting locally to you. We would love you to do that too. And when it comes to us, any of us doing anything, which means that we need more voices raised, join us. Because what we're looking to do here is we're looking to ultimately improve education, information and support for everybody. And there's so much life to be lived postmenopausally, and we want to ensure that those years can be as happy and healthy and fulfilling as possible, but we can only do that when we raise our voices together. Just a perfect way to end the podcast. Thank you so much for doing this for women and you are really changing the landscape and that is so important. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you. And I'd like some leaflets because I'm going to take them into my GPs. I'll send you a box. <laughs> <laughs> thank you both so much for talking to me. Thank you. Take care. Thanks, India. Cheers. Bye-bye. We all need to pick up Diane's fight to push women's health further up the agenda. The easiest way is to sign her petition. Go to change.org make menopause matter. I've put a link in the show notes and add your voice so that future generations are taught what to expect and get the care they need from medical professionals. Next time, I'm talking to menopause nutritionist Karen Newby, author of The Natural Menopause Method. She discusses how just tiny shifts in our lifestyle and diet can make huge changes in the way our bodies cope with our fluctuating hormones to help us sail through our menopause with no fad diets and no lecturing. If you want to be more orca, head to bemoreorcapod.co.uk for all the latest on what's coming up. I've cherry-picked articles to keep you informed so you don't have to sift through the news and become a member. Tell me what matters to you and what questions you want answering. Help shape the pod and help other women just like you so we never have to feel like we're going it alone again. 
And if you've liked this episode, please subscribe as it helps with those pesky algorithms and lets others find us and become part of our pod. And follow me at b.more.orca for my no-filter menopause diary.